what we saw with COVID is huge waves of unemployment, huge waves of disruption. We see enterprises accelerating digital transformation and elimination of repetitive jobs and tasks. You know, the pain is deep, it's pervasive, and the U.S. government had an opportunity and a window and continues to have a window to say, well, if we have all these people out of work, why don't we reskill them? Why don't we invest our dollars in building that workforce of the future? The economic crisis stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic is speeding job automation and hastening other employment trends. This puts a premium on efficiently delivering in-demand skills to a workforce reeling from the scope and pace of change. Can a U.S. system, which is traditionally oriented towards increasingly expensive four-year college degrees, pivot to meet the need? How will employers retrain their existing workers and where will they find the additional talent they need to keep pace? Amid widespread unemployment and underemployment, more and more individuals are taking the initiative to upskill. Welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. I'm your host, Bill Kerr. I'm joined today by Gabe Del Porto, CEO of Udacity, which provides online training and technical and business skills. The company is very active globally, reaching students individually, through their employers, colleges, and national governments. Gabe's here today to talk with us about recent changes in the demand for an acquisition of skills. We're going to discuss nano degrees, experiential training, government policy, and lifelong learning. Welcome to the podcast, Gabe. Well, thank you for having me. Gabe, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to Udacity? When I was growing up in West Virginia in the 80s, it was a pretty vibrant economy. People had good middle-class lifestyles. There were nice downtowns and country clubs and things like that. I go back today and I see a lot of boarded up downtowns, country clubs shut down, and people really struggling to make ends meet at you know, minimum wage service industry jobs. And really what happened there was an economy changed, jobs automated, and people didn't upskill. There was no concerted effort to retrain, reskill, and upskill the population. And what really upsets me about this is that the population density of geniuses in West Virginia, my home state, is the same as Silicon Valley. The economic opportunity is vastly different, and that's mainly driven by education, skills, uh, training. So I was thinking about this a lot. And what do you do? What do you do to kind of reboot an economy like West Virginia? And Udacity reached out to me, and Sebastian Braun, the founder of Udacity, said, yeah, that's true, but it's not a West Virginia problem. It's a global problem. It's not just Appalachia. It's not just the Rust Belt. Over the next 10 years, something like a billion people are going to lose their jobs due to AI, machine learning, and automation. And it's going to touch every facet of society, not just blue-collar workers, but also white-collar workers. You see everything from accounting to legal to medicine being disrupted through AI and automation. And to me, it's really just a mission of how do you help the world make that transition from the jobs of the past and into the jobs of the future and not go through the pain that West Virginia went through and really to help human welfare. Most of our listeners, Gabe, are going to have heard of Udacity, but they may not be as familiar with your specific products. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the company's offering and, and particularly these careers for the future that are your, your central focus? Absolutely. So let's start with careers of the future. The careers of the past, like it or not, are gone. You know, I, I remember working with an accounting team at my prior employer, and we literally had every month someone sitting in front of a terminal with two windows open one from one system that didn't talk to another system and literally keying in numbers from one monitor to the next. And that's really a miserable job for an individual employee. 
is super inefficient, is expensive. Those types of things are being automated left and right. Like those tasks are gone. And there's a lot of other kind of manual repeatable tasks that are gone and tasks become jobs, right? And jobs will be eliminated. So really the interesting thing is that as enterprises are laying off by the truckload, people with the skills of the past, they literally cannot hire enough people with the skills of the future. There's just not enough people trained in the world on data analytics, machine learning, software development, cloud computing, cybersecurity, autonomous systems, things like that. So Udacity built something called a nanodegree. And a nanodegree is the fastest, most effective way to get employable job skills in those careers of the future in four to six month time frame, part time. So on your website, you have things like robotic process automation and self-driving cars. How have you decided what to curate as a nano degree? And then where does the content come from? What are the roles of instructors for this? We work with 100 Fortune 500 Global 2000 companies around the world. So we have a really unique view into what their hiring demands are. So it starts there, you know, where are the jobs? And then we, we kind of work from the job demand into curating and crafting schools and nano degrees. Really importantly, we partner with industry to create this content. So instead of going into academia and partnering with a professor like yourself, we actually take a different approach, which is we'll go to an Amazon, a Google, Intel, the people who are creating these technologies and who are at the forefront of innovation and we co-create the curriculum with them so that it is number one, state of the art, and number two, designed to deliver employable job skills, the actual skills that employers want. There's a technical side to how the job of the future needs to look, and you also highlight the careers of the future. Along the way, are you offering any coaching or soft skills type training as part of these nano degrees? One of the things that we have found is the most effective way we can help students complete these programs successfully is to provide access to a network of experts of humans. It's delivered online, delivered asynchronously, so you can go through these courses 2 a.m. or 4 p.m. It doesn't really matter. But importantly, when you're going through the programs, if you get stuck, you know, you need a way to get unstuck. And so we have a network of 1,500 experts around the world available 24-7. So if you're working through a coding project and you don't know how to like get to the next step, you can ask one of our, we call them mentors. You can ask a mentor a question and they'll literally get back to you within under an hour. And, you know, on the weekends, middle of the night, doesn't matter. And we also, you know, part of what you're doing in these programs is you're getting your hands dirty coding day one and you're building real projects and real skills. And you submit those projects to prove your competency. And we give you line by line code reviews of those projects in under three hours. So we find that the ability to match students with humans at this exact time that they need them is a very high predictor of graduation rate and success rate. So the content is in part self-paced. People can decide when and where and how quickly they can accomplish it, but you're also mirroring them uh, using this global sort of network that you have of mentors to jump in. Exactly. Gabe, everyone's very familiar with the university environment, and I think we all also have had an experience with Zoom-based learning. Tell us a little bit about the student experience at Udacity. How is it different from uh, other forms of, of possible online education? Right. And it's actually quite different from your typical university experience, which is uh, you know a 50-minute lecture um, with students taking notes. 
So think of Udacity as first it's on demand, so you can do it any time of the day. Uh, second, it's a series of five minute video lectures um, online, followed immediately in the same classroom experience with hands-on keys reinforcement learning. So you learn a concept and then you code it. You learn a concept and you implement it. Um, and you repeat this you know, throughout the course of the month. And then at the end of the month, you do a deep immersive project. So think of this as you developing you know, an app or some machine learning algorithm that is really equivalent to what uh, an enterprise would you know, have an employee build. So it's, you know, it's much more dynamic, it's much more uh, hands-on, it's much more experiential learning. Um, as opposed to, you know, sitting and taking notes and, you know, occasionally asking a question. So in some cases, people are taking courses directly from Udacity, but partners have been a, a really central part of what you're doing. Can you walk us through a few of your corporate partners and also the governments that you've been working with? What we see is that 83% of Fortune 500 companies admit to having a significant skills gap. And 70% of them say that skills gap is preventing innovation. And 52% of them say that upskilling on the careers of the future is their top priority, right? So there's huge demand on the enterprise side. And the reason is they're all going through digital transformation. They're getting disrupted themselves. And to effectively compete with the next generation of companies, they need to disrupt themselves and to, um, and to innovate. And they just don't have the people to do that. And so we typically partner with these large enterprises to help them go through digital transformation. And to be successful, you need people, process, and technology. Well, they have the process, they have the technology, they don't have the people. And so we work with these enterprises to create custom learning paths, assessments of their existing employees and who can actually be successful and implement these uh, these programs hand in hand with them. And we typically get pretty stunning results, something on the order of 80% success rates. On the government side, you know, the governments have slightly different objectives. And so we're working with six governments around the world today, people like Egypt and Saudi Arabia and UAE, who have come to us and said, look, we have a, you know, a large population of young, ambitious people, but we have no tech sector to speak of. And we need to create opportunities. We need to upskill our populations. And so we've been working with like Egypt as an example since 2017. We've already gone through three successful programs with them where we've seen, again, 80% type graduation rates and 73% positive career change for our students. And then they came to us, you know, again this year and said, look, this works so well. We want you to upskill 25,000 people in our country and we're working with them to do that. As you think about the differences between one of your corporate clients and the government, in the corporate case, they already have the employees. And it's been a theme that we've heard from executives on this podcast series about we can only sort of transform the organization as quickly as we can get the skill base of our employees to, to move towards that future. But in, in the Egypt case, it seems like they're needing to place these workers with work that's, you know, contracted out from maybe a, a foreign country, maybe it's uh, with a, an, a, a local employer. How do you help in, in not only transferring the skills, but also making those matches so that the career impact is positive to the numbers that you that you gave? We were totally aligned with the government of Egypt that success isn't getting people into the program. Success isn't getting graduate success was getting them placed and increasing their standard of living. And so we're actually tracking that as the primary success metric. The other thing is because we are tracking that as our primary success metric, 
we partner with our students, not just get them upskilled, but to give them the skills they need to interview for jobs and to enter the contracting and outsourcing ecosystem. There's many platforms around the world where people can go on and bid on tech-oriented jobs. And so we're introducing them to those platforms. We're giving them the skills to put together proposals and to actually land those jobs. And we're tracking the salary outcomes of those efforts. That's great. Let's also go back to the, the corporate example. And a lot of companies uh, and listeners to this podcast are trying to, frankly, find their way in this digital transformation that we're all undergoing. And there can be some false starts or some trails that you go down that just aren't right. Is there something that you frequently hear a company come to you and say, Gabe, I need you to ask you to do this for me? And you you kind of know at that point to, to say, wait a minute. We've been down that road before. It's not one that is likely to be as successful as you think it is. I would say that the primary learning that we have is we are most successful when we're aligning to business outcomes. So if someone wants to go through, for example, a $2 billion Microsoft Azure migration, and they can't get there because they don't have the talent, then our success metric is getting people skilled up in Microsoft Azure and getting them enabled to complete that migration. That's very different than, for example, partnering solely with an HR organization. And the HR organization has a really important role to play in terms of execution. But if you're only offered as, for example, learning as a benefit, a general benefit made available to all employees, we tend to see, we've learned that you get pretty low uptake, you get pretty low engagement, and you know no one's really happy with the outcome. So it's uh, for us, success is partnering with not just HR, but also the business and tying ourselves to business outcomes. And that's, that's a huge element of what we do. So we've talked about businesses. We've also talked about the government side. You have yet another sector that you're working with, which is your education partners. Talk us through about how Udacity courses fit into the schooling university curricula. We've worked with several universities. We worked with Georgia Tech to co-create their online Masters of Engineering program, which I think is the largest in the country, if not the world at this point. We also work with Western Governors University, and they have included our nano degrees in their data science degrees. And so we think of Udacity as a way to bring really state-of-the-art training and techniques that we can plug into existing degree programs in a way that might take a university five plus years to really recruit the right people, come up with a curriculum, get it all approved, and we can just kind of plug in and accelerate those efforts. That's where we really find the most success on the university side. That's great. And I use this opportunity to put in a plug for one of our previous podcasts with Scott Pulsifer, who's uh, leading up WGU. It's a great, uh, great conversation. He's a fantastic partner of ours. Yeah, the, the two of you are so well aligned and, and being so impactful in this space. I want to use this as an opportunity to think further about just not only how you're currently interfacing with the university system, but just with universities and community colleges and all of the massive change that we're seeing in the skills landscape and the hiring for skills versus degrees and so forth. How do you talk with the universities and community colleges about what they need to do to adapt to these structural shifts? Where are they and and what needs to happen next? The university system plays a very important role in our society. And that role is to really train and mold the whole individual. I think they've done a really good job there. I think where the university system breaks down 
is delivering state-of-the-art job skills. And it's great, for example, and I hate to pick on you know journalism departments, but like it's great that we are graduating a lot of journalism students. There's not a whole lot of journalism jobs out there. And so unfortunately, a lot of students graduate from college, a great whole person because of the university experience, but without really specific tangible job skills where there's actual job demand. And I think universities are a lagging indicator of where the world is moving. And so you know, my suggestion to the university system is, number one, we need to really serve the student. The student you know, needs to find a way to get a job coming out of the system and be more forward thinking about where we're skilling people. And number two, you know, much more profoundly in a way, the world is moving to skills-based hiring over uh, degrees based hiring. And I think, you know, universities, for sure, Udacity is already focused here, and others need to focus on how do we get people skills, things that employers really want and value. I just don't think that the traditional bachelor's degree is necessarily set up to do that. And then in an ongoing basis, the university system is not set up to serve lifelong learning, which really is the future of work. Yeah. And if you bring into this one other workforce trend that is on many people's minds, gig-based work, contingent contract work, how do you fit into the kind of blended workforce model? Yeah, look, I think what's really interesting with COVID is that everybody has been forced to go through a massive experiment, which is, can we work remotely? And can we be effective and productive remotely? And Many companies thought that was not possible. And it turns out, hey, it is, you know, and there's pros and cons. And but by and large, the world is going on and people are getting stuff done. And I think that's really opened enterprises eyes to the fact that you don't have to have a thousand people sitting in a corporate skyscraper. You can employ people where they live and and want to be. So I think first you're going to see probably a sustained and TBD how profound shift to people working offsite. And I think that really opens up also the ability to bring on more gig workers, more contractors, and kind of meet the employee base where they are. If I went back to some of your existing corporate customers, in those transformation projects, is there already a way that you're engaging with some of their contract labor versus full-time employees? We're mostly working with their full-time employees on the enterprise side. We do work with a lot of professional services firms that are serving enterprises to upskill the professional services employees on these you know, high demand skills, things like cloud computing and cybersecurity and, and data analytics and things like that. And so I guess indirectly we are, right? So these large employers all have relationships with big five consulting firms and those consulting firms, most of them have relationships with Udacity to upskill their employees. Gabe, can you also talk a little bit about any interesting trends that you're seeing? Yeah, something that's really interesting is something called robotic process automation or RPA. And this is a technology that allows you to take manual repetitive tasks and automate them. And, you know, so a lot of tasks that you might be doing in an operations center, a lot of tasks you might be doing administratively or scheduling or something like that can be automated and, and you don't need a human to do it. Now, on the one hand, that eliminates maybe a role for a human. On the other hand, it frees that person up to do new and better and frankly, more interesting things. And so we partnered with a company called uh, UiPath, who really is the leader in RPA. And we co-created this content using their, uh, their state-of-the-art platform and our learning and teaching methodology. So it's, it's a pretty interesting and exciting new trend. 
So Gabe, it's uh, late October of 2020 as we're recording this, and we've been with the coronavirus for about eight months now, and unfortunately, it's not going to go away anytime uh, in the immediate future. As CEO of Udacity, I want you to talk with us both about how's the company responded to this crisis, and just from a, from a leadership perspective, even beyond the, you know, the company's sort of top line actions, what are some things that you have been experiencing and needed to accomplish as the crisis has unfolded and also as it's kind of persisted with us? This has been a doozy of a year. <laughs> it's been really hard. It's been hard on us. It's been hard on people worldwide because we had not just a COVID health crisis, you know, we had a, a you know racial crisis. Uh, we've had in California where I live, we've had fires and natural disasters. It's been a pretty hard year. We've had to learn how to work remotely. As we, you know, February and March, as we kind of realized what was going to happen with COVID and the magnitude of it, it was really unclear how that would benefit or hurt us. It, in a way, forced us to get way better, way faster. Because we didn't know if it was going to kick us in the teeth or give us a tailwind, you know, we hoped for the best but planned for the worst. And uh, we were super transparent with our, our employees that you know, we didn't know how this would affect us. And we started doing weekly meetings, all hands. We were totally transparent with our results, our revenue. We put together some really significant initiatives so we could manage through this and manage through well. We adopted OKRs literally in seven days as a way to test objectives and key results, as a way to, to focus the organization. And we said to everybody, it's like, look, we don't know what's going to happen, but if we can achieve these OKRs, you know, our guarantee is we are not going to lay anybody off. And we all hunkered down and we executed and blew it out of the water in Q2 and Q3 and it continues. And so it, it really forced us to focus, to over communicate, to be transparent, to adapt to digital work. And at the same time, like there was, you know, horrible racial strife in our, in our country in the United States. And we had to adapt to that and really take a hard look at our uh, diversity and inclusion policies internally, figure out what we can do to help the cause. And we, we rolled out scholarships pretty broadly. You know, we took some actions internally to make sure we're a more diverse and inclusive workforce. And so it was a really, really tough year this year, but we, I feel like it's forced us to be a much better organization. Uh, Gabe, thanks for that. As you look ahead, let me give you a lot of just superpowers here for a second and ask if you had a chance to really reshape how governments are approaching the reskilling efforts, what's top of mind for you? What could we do beyond the, the work of, of your organization and, and beyond you know the, trying to instill some greater awareness in both businesses and universities? What could we do to really move the needle on supporting reskilling? I think the U.S. government is missing a massive opportunity at this second. And what we saw with COVID is huge waves of unemployment, huge waves of disruption. You see enterprises accelerating digital transformation and elimination of repetitive jobs and tasks. You know, the pain is deep, it's pervasive. And the U.S. government had an opportunity and a window and continues to have a window to say, well, if we have all these people out of work, why don't we reskill them? Why don't we invest our dollars in building that workforce of the future? And this isn't just a, an employment issue. This is a national security issue. You have Russia and China and others out there investing much more heavily in AI and machine learning and accelerating not just their economies, but their intelligence infrastructures you know, beyond us. And so 
I think we are missing a huge opportunity to not just reskill people and help them get jobs, but also help our industrial sector, our economy, our national security. And what we have on the government side is just complete failure to seize the challenge. Almost all of our federal dollars go into the university system, which takes four years to graduate somebody who may not have a skill set. And again, it's really an important investment. The university system is fantastic and the best in the world, but we are not putting extra dollars into reskilling. And you know, the existing infrastructure is called WIOA. This gets a little wonky. All those dollars go out to the state level and then they get allocated down into like local workforce board level. And, you know, some of them are leaning in, but for the most part, like they don't know how to employ the job, the, the dollars uh, where they matter. They don't know necessarily where the jobs are. And we just have a broken system. And so my challenge to the U.S. government is step up, innovate, get over the politics and find a way to get dollars aligned to students and get them into these jobs of the future because today we're failing. Gabe Del Porto is the CEO of Udacity. Gabe, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about uh, what Udacity is doing for the careers of the future and how we can all think about making the reskilling effort uh, more promising. Thanks. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoy the Managing the Future of Work podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about the Managing the Future of Work project at our website, hbs.edu forward slash managing the future of work. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. 